0: They're mostly bad. Mostly. In honor of boyhood, which child star surprised you most, good or bad, when they became an adult?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and I think Walt from Lost deserved better.
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez, and Haley Joel Osment. It's like, how many unexceptional professionals did The Sixth Sense trick me into liking?
2: I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Anna Chomsky, who made me weep in My Girl and makes me weep from laughter in Veep uh hang on i have had zero time to think about this question
3: (laughs) i'm I'm seeing let's leave this whole part in oh wait but there's an answer we're gonna leave
2: the half hour brainstorming there's
3: an answer of like a child i mean somebody that's very famous the child actor who has just continued to go on and just crush it in every part of their career
1: jodie foster no the guy from l fanning
3: no. Natalie Portman. No. Fanning. These are all decent answers, but no. Timmy like, from Jurassic is, Park? No. There's one person in particular who just like was a kid actor and then just
1: Mickey Rooney. No,
3: maybe I'm thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio. I think I'm thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Leo, I'm gonna go with Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room! Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good then. Well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine.
3: Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then and I'm fine.
0: I agree with you. It's great to be fine.
1: It's, it's, it's a
0: podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room episode 30 for Tuesday, July 8th, 2014. Before we get started, David has some reviews he wants to read out.
3: Yeah, thank you guys for leaving us some iTunes reviews as promised. We'll read them, or at least some of them, on the show. Uh, the first is sort from of Rhymes with Tree, who says, The fearsome foursome strike an incredible balance. And it's always a joy to hear them talk about film. I realize now this is a very self-serving part of the show. This is me talking <laughs> now, not the review. But, <laughs> That's uh,
1: why we have you do
0: it. Yeah, You're realizing this now. Is, I'm good at
2: this. No,
3: this uh, is our ode to prose. I our, mean, this our, is a very yeah, important no, part just, of the writing Exactly. We're, we're highlighting the writing skills of our... Uh, of our listening public the next is from fern b who says i came across this podcast because of the storm of spoilers part of its feed i stuck with the feed and have enjoyed most every episode most every episode i enjoy all different (laughs) opinions and arguments that help to illustrate why oversimplistic up and down review shows should not exist take that ebert Uh, oh shit (laughs) uh, that's great Uh, i'm editorializing if you are looking for great discourse that will enrich your viewing this is the podcast for exactly that and finally last but certainly not least a review from a longtime listener, uh, one of our biggest supporters of the show, uh, Kevin Hutchinson. His review is, uh, I think Mr. Hutchinson would probably agree, too long to read on the show in its duration. But uh, the message is, is very detailed and heartfelt. I think it means, I can say for all of us that it, it means a lot. Uh, and if you would like to read it, why not go to our iTunes page, Fighting in the War Room. And after you've read his uh, lovely report, you can feel free to leave one of your own.
0: Thanks for the Spider-Man talk, Evan.
1: July box office set a record for how little money anything made it was led by Tammy which by the reports of those who've seen it is a very odd movie which we'll talk a little bit more about in segment three but the amazing spider-man 2 didn't do that well x-men days of future past which is the biggest movie of summer also didn't do that well transformers paramount swears it made it open to more than 100 million dollars and believe it or not that very specific number is so important that they may or may not be lying about that because other studios say they didn't uh, in a way, it doesn't matter because all of these movies have made a ton of movie, ton of money overseas. I've just, Edge of Tomorrow actually tripled its gross by in overseas markets compared to what it made here. And that was actually one of the good movies, according to those of you who've seen it, which I have not. <laughs> Do we care that none of these movies are doing that well overseas? The trades, as we were recording this, are freaking out about it. But I'm not so sure that it matters other than the sense of bragging rights that... America is the most important movie going market, which I think most people who are paying attention think is no longer true.
3: Well, the first thing I'd like to point out, just to, at the top of the conversation, is that, like the tides, uh, the waters have to recede before they, you know, tsunami all over the place. And when anyone looks at the upcoming roster of films, it's clear from the 2015 summer slate that all of the, the studio's resources are. You know, the, the, in the way, a World of Hollywood blockbusters doesn't necessarily have to be this this lack before the, the tidal wave, but um, I do think that this is sort of going to be a moot point when uh, next year rolls around and you're, you're having an obviously uh, record breaking summer. Um, but because of what? Because I, 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 we're going to have an, an obviously record breaking summer next year. So I think that this is going to be a moot point uh, 12 months Wait, from now. Why?
1: Wait, but what are you talking about that's going to break all the records?
3: Uh well, I'm probably the person I Dave would always Avengers two. Uh, <laughs> it is called
0: off. Avengers: Age of Ultron, Mister Patches, as well as Batman v Superman. Well, that's, no, that comes well, out in 2016. That's
2: 2016.
3: You're now. thinking of yes, right. S- Star Wars
2: seven.
3: No, yeah, but there's
2: uh.
0: It well, well, we'll also movie. have a subtitle. Oh, I'm
2: just I mean, Terminator just... Genesis. Uh, and Ooh, also, yeah, you know, I think there good.
3: are. Uh, there are a number of uh, huge movies coming out next summer. Uh, Jurassic World. I think. Sorry. Also, when you look at the July Fourth offerings this year, it's not especially uh, mysterious as to why people didn't flock to the movie theaters to see Deliver Us from Evil and Tammy, which was a movie that was Tammy, advertised Let's, uh, be, on, let's on be on clear the here. Of quotes
2: from the movie that people hadn't seen yet. Tammy did well. Tammy did pretty well. Tammy I mean, did. It made fine. like twenty-five million dollars. Over the July 4th weekend, and that is almost up to snuff with Melissa McCarthy's other movies, and the movie is not like a laugh-out-loud comedy. It's a very strange movie. It's a hard, also not they that they expensive. had nothing to sell as a summer movie, so and, and I think it, it, it could only have cost maybe $20 million. It's not a big movie, so it's well, weird to say that it was a failure. It was just not a summer movie, and it's not making summer movie numbers. Which is, it, is, is it, compared to the other failures of the summer, there are a lot bigger. I mean, Amazing Spider-Man Two is the failure of the summer,
3: right?
0: So, so it's far to that, so far. Okay, you know, Amazing Spider-Man Two is probably the failure of the summer. That's fine, but um, I mean, isn't it? I mean, to me, it sort of seems like because what David's saying is true, and then you also have, from my seat, all these mega franchises. I'll call them because I think that's a good word. To do lack of as a better you doing? As I do. Uh, and I think that they're spinning up to have like these decade long plans. So I think it, we're in this like, we're seeing this weird thing where our tent poles aren't seasons anymore, they're years. And we're in like a downslope year. And the next year is going to be like some crazy tent post year. It's becoming like the, uh, World Cup or the Olympics or national election <laughs> cycles, where it's like really once every four. These things are constantly happening, and they should all be big deals. But really, once every four years or so is when the real thing happens. Does that like, mean I can sound
2: pulled. my vuvuzela at Age of Ultron? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. Yes. Noted.
0: I'm I'm hoping you get kicked out of Age of Ultron for <laughs> only if I have a Vuhuzella camera. And. I get kicked we'll out. We'll have out their have exclusive Vuhuzella. report on patches <laughs> getting
1: kicked out of Age of Ultron for blowing <laughs> <laughs> vuvuzela. Yeah,
0: but it's like even this this summer has been so interesting because there hasn't been like a movie that's been able to even really hold on to a strong box office showing for more than one or two weeks. And it, so it seems like everybody planned this year to have like some sort of tent pole under the old system. And now we're seeing the transition into whatever the... Because like, weren't we ourselves on this podcast like a year ago talking about how we should get rid of this tentpole system, and now aren't we just reaping the seeds that we've sown?
1: About wanting to get rid of the tentpole system?
0: We're just talking about, like, not having dumping areas of, like, these different parts of a different year, and, like, now we sort of threw so much money into the summer that it's sort of, you know, sprinkling downhill, and, like, August movies are things to look forward to all of a sudden. And, you know, next year, Star Wars is scaring everything up the calendar, away from Christmas... So it's sort of like the entire year is on the board now, leaving them open to be tentpole years rather than tentpole seasons. Right.
2: It seems like people are are voicing an opinion with their dollars this year, which is give us a breathing room. Right. I mean, the fact that Captain America is still the top grossing movie of the year. Uh, I,
1: I think it's a Lego movie, isn't it?
2: No, I think it's Captain America. Just yeah. they're they're oh. they're in contention for the. They're top. very close together. Yes, I, it's I think... it's a dead heat. But what I'm what I'm going to say is that, you know, if if. If these movies, if these giant blockbuster movies had a little more space between them, maybe they could be more successful if if we filled in the gaps. If there wasn't a summer movie season, it would be better. But this, all these summer movies competing with each other, cannibalizing each other, uh, it's, it's impossible for one to be a success. You'd think that a Transformers movie by now, I just assume that it should be the biggest movie of the summer already. And it's already looking like diminishing returns, at least here at home.
3: Right, and that's the big story of the summer for me. Is uh, not that this is much of a surprise? Is, is the uh, emergence of the importance of international markets, especially China. But
2: where, just to be clear, yeah. David, Michael Bay did not think about box office while making this movie, and he did not right. think about China box office while making this movie. Absolutely, um, of course
3: not. And that is uh, that is a major major story that we're going to see continuing repercussions of, mostly because we're going to have to sit through Pacific Room Two, which is only going to exist because of how the movie performed in China. I hope it's uh, in but, Chinese. Uh, I mean, it very out? well, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised Long if the car Chinese wise, characters actually make it through the movie this time. Mm. Um, but, the yeah, I mean, I think that that's increasingly part of the story where the American box office receipts no longer tell the complete narrative. And also, to go back to an article that I wrote on The Dissolve a little while ago, and I think that we discussed on the podcast in the segment, uh, I think that, to an extent, summer movie season is not really the watertight concept uh, that it used to be um it's it's you can look for even the biggest movie of the year thus far came out in april um and that's not just a result of the summer movie season expanding into the weeks of april and deeper into august which it really hasn't done um it's more of a major just shift in the culture or blockbuster culture at large and so i think that uh that's why when you narrow down the, the focus to the receipts now, of these movies over the summer you're getting a skewed perspective
2: is this is this a problem not i mean we focus on summer blockbusters being kind of a plague for the movie industry dur- during the summer for obvious reasons is it a problem with the the like the prestige films is it a problem with a- award season dominating part of the year um and that kind of pushing everything to the summer a need for summer movies a need for that block uh, you know i watched no. i watched life of Pi the other day, um, again. And I, I actually really love that movie. I think it's wonderful. Um, it's very silly. It's very slight at times. And it's not up to snuff, perhaps, with the prestige films that go on to win all in the Oscars. But it's like the middle Life ground... I
1: won Best Director Oscar.
2: Oh, yes. I forgot about that. So, Egli <laughs> totally deserved that. Uh, I mean, that movie is extraordinary uh, in terms of visual filmmaking. Everything we laud Michael Bay for... Ang Lee deserves that same praise, Um, but he doesn't get that satisfaction, I don't think. I think he's chastised for it, in fact.
1: He has won two Oscars.
2: I know, but I'm saying that he, with scorn from from most people, uh, not the Academy, of course, but... From people onlookers on the internet, um, don't I'm pretty care. Pretty sure for... people
1: thought he deserved his Brokeback Mountain Oscar, but you know, just well. I'm
2: not talking about Brokeback. I'm talking about Life of Pi here. <laughs> and what I'm saying, okay. is, what I'm saying is that isn't there room for Life of Pi in the summer? Isn't there a room? Like, could we do ourselves a favor by, or could the studios do themselves a favor by releasing prestigious uh, spectacle during the summer? Yeah, as but how to would, straight how would you up know Transformers the... four?
3: how would you know the difference i mean yes something like dawn of the planet of the apes i'm taking it on good faith that it's yes a, you uh, hate a real, this movie but everyone know, everyone i, everyone I, I haven't raving. seen the film i have no interest in this franchise but i you know and obviously it is a franchise picture that's the key thing it is not adapted off of a best-selling and internationally beloved novel um but it, you know it I, actually I, is
2: based on a novel technically whatever you know
3: yeah, what I mean. get get off my back you. <laughs> the apes. but the uh yeah and i think that you wouldn't you know everything seems it's just a matter of perce- uh, perception i mean the release inception in the summer and you look at it as an outlier i mean i think you know, there there is definitely room for it but i think that you know studios also the more expensive these movies get the more timid they become with their decisions and um i think but life of pie is a strange example because it was such a uh a bold you know despite the pedigree of the novel i think it was such a bold movie to spend that much money on to begin with um so I'm not I'm not really sure, to, but
2: I, yeah. To, to to kind of steer it back towards what Katie was kind of introducing here about a box office focus. I'm curious, have you guys talked to people about the movies they're shelling out money to see? You know, we're we're trying yeah. to talk about all the recent movies each week, but what are, what are people actually going? to see what are people putting their money out to to chase i wonder if, if i don't are...
0: i don't know anyone that went to the movies this weekend
2: the no, only no one the I've movie, movie that keeps coming movies. up at least for people buying tickets is snowpiercer for me which i think we're a little jaded here in new york having the availability of snowpiercer to go see enough movie theater but uh it seems to be excelling at least it's it's like the second biggest movie Weinstein Company Radius has ever put out.
0: See, that seems some, like something to me that's only going to do better when it, like, hits VOD, Which what, this Friday? Which it's doing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's something that I would tell my friends, like, put on the air conditioning, pull the blinds, put on Snowpiercer. I don't But why not know... go to
2: the theater to see Snowpiercer? Because you you go to
0: the theater to see something that's in 3D and IMAX and Michael Bay blowing up cars and stuff. And if that's not going to draw you into the theater, then you have stuff like Snowpiercer that's going to come right (laughs) into your home.
2: But Snowpiercer is big screen entertainment. Actually, speaking of the Dissolve, they wrote something similar, or they wrote something to the effect this week about what is big screen entertainment. And Snowpiercer is still big. It's not Transformers. Big. But it's it seems to be attracting people to the movie theaters because it's an original vision. It has some uh, scaled entertainment worth taking in on the biggest screen possible. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm not discounting any of that. But in terms of summer movie audiences, you could bring a horse to water patches, and et cetera. I will, etc.
2: My horse, Patches.
0: Your horse is named Patches. That is adorable. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, like the stop by in the summer. Do you remember? Do you remember?
1: Hey guys, real quick, what's your favorite movie of 2014 so far? David? Uh, well,
3: I, I think that I, I feel so boring uh, saying the Grand Budapest Hotel, but uh, it's because I think that, you know, sort of go to Wes Anderson. Uh, love has sort of been ruined by insufferable fandom and uh, cultural co-opting over the years. But what can I say? I haven't seen a better film this year than The Grand Budapest Hotel, which I've now seen three times. I think is probably his best movie, certainly his best live action movie. Um, and uh, I do have a hard time seeing it being dethroned. But there are so many exciting movies coming out later this year that it's also entirely possible.
1: Dave.
0: Under the Skin. It's weird. It's about how human sexuality is inherently dangerous. And uh, it sounds like uh, that would be my favorite movie of the f- year, and unsurprisingly, it is.
1: Patches.
2: Um, What is mine? You know, I don't really get all the love for the Lego movie, but maybe that's a conversation for later. I'm going to go with Locke. I'm just throwing Locke back out there, because I adore Tom Hardy just talking on a phone. As your number 1? Yeah, well no, it's not I mean my number 1 is going to be Grand Budapest Hotel to be quite fair. Ha. But I but I didn't want to repeat. I didn't <laughs> I want to throw out you no know, you know what best performance of the year might be Locke. So far, although I don't I do know Ray Fine, no, pretty pretty he's very, very good in that movie. Hysterical, and which won't be appreciated come the end of the year because it's too funny. Um, but Locke, I think, is another performance that's going to be totally glossed over. And Tom Hardy's commanding that role. So you know, I I just read. Um, a great article about line readings and how we kind of overlook the amazing factor in movies and how we're all absorbed in picture and we don't uh, hone in enough on like an amazing line reading. And I think everything Tom Hardy does in this movie is that exact, is that exact thing. It's just like, it's poetry. It's, it's a poem. Locke is a poem. Ah,
1: my turn. My pick is boyhood. We're going to talk about it later this week. So I don't want to talk about it too much, but God, I love that movie and we'll get there later.
2: It's showtime, folks. Roll the camera. I'm gonna
1: go, to
2: the go to the movies.
1: Go to the movie. Go to the movie. Go to the movies. Let me do a movie. Take us to the movies. One
2: to the movies. Go the movies. Watch it go tonight.
1: As discussed previously in our box office segment, Melissa McCarthy's Tammy opened over 4th of July weekend, which was a bizarre choice in a lot of ways as a 4th of July weekend movie. I'm talking about Tammy having not seen it, but I've read enough reviews, and I'm familiar enough with the idea from those who've seen it that it is not your typical summer tentpole release not only because it's a comedy starring just one woman and no giant robots but because it's really nothing like Identity Thief or uh, the Heat, which is you know her two standalone comic efforts that have been huge hits thus far. And there are some people who would call that a vanity project. It was called that in the New York Times. Mark Harris, who is a critic that I believe we all follow, called, called them out for calling that a vanity project when they wouldn't call something that a man produced and shepherded himself a vanity project. I'm not as interested in the gender ideas of a vanity project as I am just where we draw that line, gendered or not, because Boyhood, which opens this Friday in some ways could also be considered a vanity project. It's something that Richard Linklater worked on for 12 years kind of, he had the support of IFC, but it was really a solo thing. And it was really just him believing that it would work, kind of reassuring his actors. Now, wait a second. Year after year to work I, on this I night, want to but...
2: immediately draw a line here between what is a okay. vanity project. He's drawing and what... a
3: line. He's and drawing what... a line. I'm drawing
2: a line. Draw line. You can't see it, but in this cat box that I'm standing next to with my hand through poop. <laughs> I don't I... like yes. this. Is... Anyway, I don't like how this is going. What is a vanity project and what is a passion project? Boyhood is a passion Project. It's something that Linklater has invested himself in fully for, for over a decade to, to bring to screen, uh, this kind of experimental film that's wholly narrative, obviously. Um, but a vanity project, and I don't know if I... I mean, yes, I I think Tammy is a vanity project because it's about Melissa McCarthy. It's a vehicle for this person. Um, that would be a vanity project to me. That's It's glorifying the self through something that you're tailoring to yourself. Uh, it is all about her. Uh, boyhood is not all about Richard Linklater. It's all about the experiment, but I still think that that is a passion project, perhaps.
3: Wait, isn't isn't a vanity project just a passion project that people don't like?
1: No! That's, no. My, that's kind of my contention.
3: Because I think that it is Patches.
1: <laughs>
0: I think I'm more on David's side here than Patches' side, because I think what a vanity project is saying is this person thought they were important enough to do this and what a passion project is saying is this person cared enough about this to will this into existence where one is positive and one is negative and I think it's applied after you've seen the, you know, I I don't know, after you've applied your opinion whether to the final product or to part of the process in general.
1: So the question becomes whether or not it matters the difference between the two and whether or not we should kind of be seeking these out and looking at something that someone is working on and, like, sensing a vanity project from afar. Or if this is only something that you guys think matters what's the actual finished product, because as much as we might say that we're only seeing the final product of a movie, it can be... Watching something in the trades and for years and years ahead of time. And you look at someone like Shane Carruth, who really benefited from this myth growing up around him as he was making what I would call vanity projects. These are movies that were, you know, that he was passionate about, that he starred in. It's all about himself as an actor and as the creator of these movies. But he benefits from us talking about them and then not calling them vanity projects in between. Is this, I mean, is this a term that? we should be concerned about is this an idea of kind of the suffering on tour who's making these things on his own or on her own or with $20 million from a studio that that, does that judgment matter in whether or not these movies are going to be good? Well, Uh, I would uh, go on. uh, Sorry.
0: I would, the only reason I would say no is because I've found over my years of living that the music that, i am more willing to give a chance to be weird for whatever reason is music done by single people for no real purpose so i like the bands that are just dudes in their garage or somebody who are multi-instrumentalists or whatnot because i feel like when you're playing in this echo chamber, it's going to send you to different places. I, so I don't think it's necessarily important to be on the watch for it because I think the things that make like good passion or vanity projects, the things that make good art, I would say, would be... Uh, I don't know. Like, oh. sort of insulated from the studio machine that would hamper most other things. That I don't, don't know. Like.
2: I think... I mean, I think a vanity project can be an indie and... A studio picture i'm thinking of like a um, zach
3: braff movie is always a vanity project
2: (laughs) yes i mean yes it is yes it is and you can tell that because most of the shots are him doing things and it's about how he's saving the day or let me throw this out here 1948 hamlet laurence olivier directs laurence olivier (laughs) as hamlet and and to, to great results, no doubt. Uh, well, okay. That he wins, know, he, or you? he's nominated for Best Director and wins Best Actor. He's the only actor to have ever directed himself in a movie that gets those two awards. Uh, that's a vanity project. It's successful. It's not a, a bad thing. We're not chastising the fact that he's starring in a vanity project. But this movie is all about him.
0: Oh, see, I think, to me, that's... I don't know if that's true, because you have, like, Woody Allen movies, some which Woody Allen plays the Woody Allen character. And those are vanity somewhere, projects. Some more people identify Woody Allen as directing, quote, unquote, the Woody Allen character in the movie. And so it's like, if that's the way that his, you know, art is taking form, those are just Woody Allen movies, they're not vanity Well, I projects. think
2: it's diluted. I mean, Woody Allen is a vanity director that only directs himself, or it was in the beginning. Um, and But actually, I would continue to say that he is, because of what you're saying, that he somehow invests his own personality into the characters that he, yeah, he makes he lead actors. But,
0: but, he, but he, can't, he can't actually do that. It's still a collaboration, but it's people working on a unified... With? The, just well, the actors, or anyb- his pawns? Anybody <laughs> else? Every everybody else? I'm sure Woody Allen does not do everything on his films, but it's like films a collaborative medium, whereas something like music that I'm talking about can be much more easily a solitary medium. <laughs> but it's like otherwise we're looking for this like a tour level connection with the material, and that's how we level, a tour level vanity. I, I think I that's a misuse of the word
3: through a medium. <laughs> now, David's <laughs> just gonna stupid.
2: do impressions. I think that's a misuse of the word auteur. You can be an a without creating a vanity project. I think. Um,
0: I said a tour level commitment. A tour level. I commitment think saying that a, a Woody opinion.
2: Allen movie is more of a collaboration than an artist going off and making an an album is false. I think that's incorrect. I, I think that's a little naive, and um, saying that that he's suddenly like, ha- you know, uh, making concessions for the people he's working with, or the actors aren't fully invested in whatever he wants them to do. Uh, that that's what a Woody Allen movie is. He can do I, I, whatever he wants, and the people paying for it want Woody Allen movies.
3: But he's also uh, idiosyncratic enough where the question doesn't really enter the equation. I mean, like nobody else could. Star I think that's in true. Hall. Yeah, no, nobody that, else could that's star completely in fair. But Manhattan.
2: that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying defines Vandy Project, and that it can be. You can have a career of vanity projects. And that sometimes, if in the case of Tammy, perhaps, but or, or vain one-offs... about Woody Allen's to...
3: films. He's a schmuck. He's like... You know, I, I, I think that um, it's out of necessity for him, I think. Uh, and, should, and to a certain extent, all films should be passion projects. You know, the only thing that makes me not say that yeah. is I think back to sort of the glory days, the golden days of Hollywood, where a lot of our most revered directors did work for hire... Uh, projects that were set up by the studios and that they were sort of hired guns for and they turned out just great and may not have been uh, by our contemporary definition of passion well, projects. I, I but... think
2: a passion project, the contemporary definition that you're alluding to, is a labor of love. The labor comes in and that's when we start recognizing it as like this guy is battling either time or the industry or something, he's putting pressure against some other force that prevents them from making this movie, which is different than older directors who... You know, every, you're right. Uh, every movie should be a passion project, and I yeah, think well, a lot of them are. The Transformers.
3: What movie isn't going to have some resistance from, <laughs> if, from the man, from you know, financial crunching? Wait, wait. Are we talking else?
0: about movies that, like, for me, it's interesting that the next three Avatars are kind of just like, yeah, make three really technically advanced movies all in a row, James Cameron. Just do whatever you want, and then like. I don't know. Four years from now, we're all going to be writing stories about how the studios mad at James Cameron for overspending again because this happens every five years. But isn't that an example? Well, I mean, probably longer from now. Who knows? Well, I'll be writing that story. What I'm saying is, it's like a a cycle because wouldn't something like Pandora be a passion and vanity project?
1: Yeah, I think of that as definitely something like a vanity project. I think a lot of the stuff Cameron does is basically to tell himself that he's the only smart person who can make that happen. F that. The, I mean, it's not necessarily the most useful thing, but as, you know, I think Hollywood history has proved a lot of times that that kind of thing can result in something good. But kind of my question in bringing this up is if we're over-invested in the idea of, you know, the passionate filmmaker who's trying to get his vision to the screen. Like, it's been around since the very beginning, but... Does it result in disaster more often than it results in? I mean, I would argue that Avatar is a good movie. I think many of you would not, but you know, insert example here of great movie that was pushed forward by a single individual who wouldn't give up.
2: Here's the difference: the James Cameron comparison seems a little off to me. Titanic is not. I don't think it's a passion project or a vanity project. I think it's a really cool movie that the studio was like, "Okay, we can see that we understand this pitch. It's a huge blockbuster. It's a huge romance, old school style. Go make this movie, James Cameron." And he was into it, but like uh and, and I don't want to get too much into How James is Cameron's it not head a vanity oh, project okay. just because he's no, on the, the screen. No, wait a second. A very wait a second. Small, I'm comparing definition. No, but listen to me. I'm I'm I, I think James Cameron is a driven director you were, who wants you to execute completely these, cut off. <laughs> he wants to execute these grand visions, but Avatar is a different story. Avatar is about showing off technology. Ten years in the making, the most photoreal creations you'll ever see. I've been working in a lab no, for no, 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 years no. To, to produce this. That is vanity. That is a vanity project.
0: All, all James Cameron movies are about showing off technology.
2: I think that's kind of bullshit. Have you seen True Lies? I. <laughs>
0: Yes, Yeah. have I seen True Lies, have the I movies where they hang Jamie Lee Curtis from a helicopter while extracting somebody from like a fucking moving car on a bridge? Yeah, but
2: that's not like T2 melting liquid CGI.
0: Well, I mean, you can't just make a computer advancement every year, but when you can, James Cameron does it in a Giants action movie. Like, yes, that's exactly what he does. He's like, I want to investigate the bottom of the sea. Hey, that's where the Titanic is. I'll make a movie about it, and then they'll let me go down there. I just think Avatar
2: is more about the accomplishment of the special effects, whereas Titanic is just about making a grand film.
3: Uh, I'm sorry. James. Whatever, all these James Cameron movies uh, (laughs) about a, a rich white man reserving, you know, trillions of you know, you're not opening yourself up to that to that to example be like, I'm gonna buy a fucking continent in Australia to make these movies and I'm just gonna
2: hunger down there well, for well, a decade then tell, me crazy, then tell me why I'm crazy tell me why I'm crazy about Hamlet tell me why I'm crazy about Hamlet or tell me why I'm crazy about actors who who concoct roles for themselves and work tirelessly to like make the perfect meaty role for them you see it a lot with the, actors turned directors
3: the, the name that you cited cut out both times you said it
2: There was no name. I'm talking about Laurence Olivier, but I'm also talking broadly about actor-directors.
1: Ben Affleck. What's the question? (laughs) (laughs) I'm
3: I'm asking
2: you because you are so sure that uh, passion or vanity projects are just passion projects that fail. I am asking you to confront this idea of an actor, director, do-it-all who creates a role for themselves to dive into.
3: I think in the public perception vanity projects are passion projects that that people don't like i i don't think that's what they actually are i think uh because i do like in my own head we all have our different dividing lines i look at the avatar sequels i look at titanic and i think of it as a vanity project think of a man flexing his hollywood muscle and making the biggest possible spectacle he can uh and not in a way dissimilar from how michael bay goes about it um even if you could argue, and maybe not successfully, that James Cameron is a little bit cynical about it, but we'll double back that by the time Avatar 4 comes out. Uh, I think that they are Avatar vanity projects, yeah, and, and I think that he makes good vanity projects. So, uh, you know, I think I'm speaking a little bit more to the public perception. Uh, I think if Avatar 2 bombs, everyone's going to go out and call it a vanity project. And if Avatar 2 comes does well, which it probably will, all of the writing and the trades about Avatar 3 will say James Cameron's passion project. So I think it's just really a way of classifying things after the fact. Uh, nobody has ever – well, this could be overstating the case. But I really don't think people frequently call things vanity projects before they come out and have been judged by the public. Uh Whereas passion projects
0: really? – Yeah, I mean I think – You, well, you would mean, be wrong
2: it's, it's, because that's the whole – Story surrounding uh, it's as, Tammy. It's,
0: it's used as a criticism to something as part of the process, but it's not. It's not talking about like how it was made or anything like that. Like okay, like if, if for an actress like Melissa McCarthy to have a movie that you know she's involved in as Tammy is going to get labeled a vanity project if people don't like it or if people are trying to cut down the movie because. Actors are not supposed to write their own stuff. I don't know why, but that's just sort of this weird thing that's in the back of everybody's head that, like, either the director's in control or it's a team effort. It's very not usually from the writer's way in.
1: So you're talking about when we're watching something happen and we want to find a way to cut... And Melissa McCarthy down even before her movie comes out we call it a vanity project. We call
0: it a vanity project because the thing is that if Tammy would have been great and we wouldn't we would have been talking about in depth how the history would have been and people would have watched so much of Tammy that it was we couldn't ignore it we would have been forced to write think pieces us as critics and re-engage with it critically and we'd end up you know figuring out how you know certain scenes got inserted into Tammy and who had their fingerprints on the writing process and what sort of passion was put into getting this movie made and that sort of thing. And then it would become this whole narrative where Vanity Project is the easy way to dismiss it as, oh, this is something she wants to make herself more popular, therefore I don't have to engage with it.
1: Yeah, I pretty much agree with you. I think it's a good write-off term, which I think is valid in some cases, because Hollywood is littered with Vanity Projects, especially when you get to movies that are made independently. And I think outside of the studio system, like how Tammy was made, because usually when a movie like Tammy gets made for that much money, there are so many hands involved with it. I don't, yeah, I think it is dismissive and I think it's something that kind of depends on whether or not you like the movie, but I'm not really, willi- really willing to give up on the term because I don't think that it needs to always be encouraging the idea of the rugged individualistic genius is going to make it happen. I think you need the term to be like, no, this is the flip side of that. This is what can happen. Even if you believe in your ideas so strongly, it can be garbage. Like, yeah, I don't, think, I don't well, think there's a
3: uh... reason to discard it. I just think that we have to call a spade a spade, and I think that the sort of uh, sexist overtones that were given towards Tammy, uh, which may, again, have just been a result of the movie not performing very well, and so it being smacked with the Vanity Project label, needs to sort of be done away with. I think that it's, it's a perfectly fine classification as long as we are consistent with it and uh, don't use it to discourage our artists from taking prominent chances um, but the way that it works oh, wow. retroactively every vanity project seems like a bad idea and every passion project seems like a good one so and
0: there's also there's also a step beyond vanity project too, which is like how atlas shrugged part 3 is coming to theaters god knows <laughs> how so it's like vanity project isn't that bad it's just more like a failed attempt that but you know you really put too much behind in the early the pejorative early can
2: be destructive because uh, our, our our colleague Mike Ryan did a really interesting interview. I guess this is probably two or three years ago uh, with Will Ferrell after maybe it was after Casa Mi Padre and or mm-hmm. everyone yes, everyone the one. or Everyone Must Go. I'm trying to remember one of his two small movies, the one that we, he really wanted to make and and uh, probably not Casa Mi Padre. It's probably Everyone Must Go because it's a little more dramatic, it's a little more interesting, uh, and it's very much uh, a vehicle for him. And he helped get it made. And he wanted to make this movie more than anything. And it bombed. And people didn't like it that much. And he's like, why would I even do these things? Why would I make these projects? And, and I, I'm sure if he went through the reporting on it or writing about that film, that it was slapped with Vanity Project or something like that and used in a pejorative manner. Um, and, and that does scare Talent away from taking chances, as David mentioned. Like we don't want to do that, but uh, you, you should reclaim the word and try and frame it in a positive way. If it, you know, I guess vanity will never have that context, so I, I might just as well call it passion, to the, So,
3: to go back to Tammy, I'm not. It doesn't strike. I mean, I think that words need to be used carefully, and I don't necessarily understand the justification for singling out Tammy as a vanity project. I think what people mistake that as. I don't think anyone. Somebody. Does. Right. Well oh, people I mean, she's preying upon her image. She's doing another one of these movies where she's um you know, playing a, a similar stereotype to how she's Melissa McCarthy has appeared uh, in the movies in her theatrical career, um moving further and further away from Suki St. James in the Gilmore Girls. Or Suki St. James no Suki St. James the Gilmore Girls, Suki whatever is true blood. Anyway. Uh, they, uh, and so I think like that was callous and crass. Uh, and when there's no justification to it, it does hurt the system. It does take away the power of it as pejorative. Um, and so shame on the New York Times for that. But I still think that, you know,
0: there's value to it. I think that, you know, I don't, I think it's a, critical shorthand term so as long as it's not being used irresponsibly which of course it will be because it's life in the internet <laughs> and talking about movies that um <clears throat> i think that um uh, vanity's fair oh! Oh! oh
2: i see what you did there Ayo. So what we what we really need is a PSA. Don't drink and use the term Vanity Fair. I mean Vanity Don't. Project or Vanity. <laughs> Don't fair.
0: do what we just did and drink and talk about.
1: <laughs> <van>. <laughs> Don't drink and review movies, you guys. It's a serious business and uh. You no, do,
3: do that. Definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Look Vice at where it Katie. got David. <laughs> <laughs> Take all sorts of drugs and review movies. <laughs> just read it. Give it a once over before you send it to your editor. That's all I ask. Uh.
1: That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We will be back on Friday to review boyhood which you might have mentioned oh, a time or two so during the podcast. It was
0: horrible Katie that's what I got to tell you about boyhood it was really bad there's all sorts of chemicals in your body you feel all gangly it's out of place it's really bad don't ever do it I'm relying
1: on I'm relying on you guys to teach me all about puberty which is going to be really fun oh, so thank you in for that review In the meantime, tell the people who
2: you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet, all over the place. And I put all my work at mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And uh, remember, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. Post the episodes, put all our notes there. You can comment, you can share. We engage you. It's a wonderful conversation. So go there when we post this, fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich.
3: I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. Uh, you can find me on And I also have to dissolve in the AV club You can find me on Twitter at David Erlich And at Criterion Corner And you can follow at LW Lies Little White Lies feed And you can find all of us together On Facebook at Fighting in the War Room Where we will interact with you In ways both appropriate and otherwise
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez uh, You can spell my first name DA70 Which is also my Twitter handle I write about the superhero movie news And Star Wars at Latino-review.com I also do a podcast called The Public. Dispatch the with Matt Patches, Devinder Hardwar, and Joanna Robinson. It's at <laughs> dispatch.com and covers Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra, which they are dumping in the summer, so there's only going to be like six episodes. Go get on it now at RepublicStateDispatch.com. <laughs> Here on this podcast, though, you can call and interact with us, which is a luxury that is only on this podcast of all the many podcasts that we all do. And that number to call us is 914-410-6450. Ask us a question on the voicemail. We'll answer it on the show. Sometimes. That's it?
3: That's your movie?
1: And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also find the entire podcast on Twitter, shouting at each other, shouting at you, fighting in the war room, at F-I-T-W-R. Where you can also answer this week's lightning round question, which is...
0: In honor of boyhood, which child star surprised you most, good or bad, when they became an adult?
1: Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay. I got
1: it.
0: And if he stays, I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of life. If he stays, and I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of life. If he stays. pieces of light. If he stays, then I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of light.